Listen, church, I am, I am so grateful to, for the calling that we've received as a church to be what we call a recovery church, a church that tells the recovery community that we want them here. How many in here, I want you to raise your hand, okay? How many in here have known somebody whose life has been ruined by addiction? Raise it high and hold it up and everyone look around. Look around. Yeah, almost all of us. Almost all of us. I was reminded of this just this past week on Friday. Some of you know this. I buried, along with some friends of his, he, uh, he and they and I buried a friend that's in recovery that took his own life. We just did that this Friday. And it reminds me today that recovery is literally a matter of life and death. It literally is. It's not just metaphorical. So it's important. And it is important for there to be churches that say to the recovery community, we want you. We can handle you. Messes don't scare us. We're messes too. That's the calling we've received. And that's what we have. And just to be clear, when we say recovery community, we mean it just as broadly as it can possibly be be understood. Because really, we're all in recovery from something. We're all in recovery. That's how we kicked off this ministry is reminding ourselves that we all need recovery. But specifically, we, are, we name these people groups that we are saying we want you and we're here for you. That's those who struggle with addiction, those family members of those who struggle with addiction, and then the professional caregivers of those that provide care on the continuum of care to the recovery community. We want all of them to know that we are here for them. And so today, our guest speaker just happens to be all three of those. He has struggled with addiction. He has family members who struggle with addiction. And he is a professional caregiver to those who are in addiction. Scott Walker, he works in Lubbock and Amarillo. But when he is here, he is housed. His home base is right here in our building. He and Eric are co-owners of the My Next Step intensive outpatient program that operates out of our building. We invited them to operate their work here because we want to let the world know, the world of recovery know that we are here for them. And so I'm really grateful that Scott's here with us and we're really blessed because I just asked him less than a week ago to do this. And that's because Jeremy Hunter, as most of you know, he, he was struggling with shingles before, but then something happened, some mysterious symptoms that are really scary. And we're praying for you, brother, and, uh, and we need to be praying for him. But he wants to be here and he wanted to be here. But in his absence... I'm grateful that Scott has decided to, to be a part of us. So I'm so happy that we're going to be blessed by him. Scott, if you'll come up here, I just want to pray a blessing over you as he is planning on blessing us um, with his message. All right, I pray for you. Dear God, I just, in the name of Christ, we give this ministry, our RISE ministry, where recovery intersects spiritual experience. We give that to you. This is your ministry. This is your work recovery is your work and we know who's behind it we know who's behind it and that's your son jesus christ and so we just give you all the glory and praise for any um, ministry we get to do that helps support your work with those who need it in this unique way and now i just pray a blessing and an anointing on scott as he blesses us and prays for us in this ministry that we have just faithfully, and we're trying to faithfully receive and enact. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.
Thank you, brother. Can I bring this table over yes, here? Went over. That's quite all right. Hi, everybody. My name is Scott Walker. I am a grateful recovering alcoholic and drug addict. Um, I'm also a follower of Jesus Christ. Jeremy, I don't know, I guess he's there or there. I don't know where Jeremy's at, but I love you, brother, and I'm praying for you. Uh, When uh, Brian gave me the call to come do this, you know, the very first thing in your mind goes, why do I want to go do that? I want to go home and watch football, you know? But uh, it was funny, the text came during a Bible study that I go to at Refuge Services a Christ-based equine facility in Lubbock, Texas. And uh, the sermon was about giving back. (laughs) It was about carrying your own cross. And I was like, what a coincidence is this, you know? I said, well, Brian, you know, just call me if you need me. And he did, and and I'm here. And thank God that I'm here. You know, I, I... Four years, is that really how long we've been here? What a blessing, huh, Eric? I mean, uh, if I look at him again, I'll cry. So I'm not going to look at Eric, okay? You know, I got sober through uh, the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And at first, um, gosh, I would... I wasn't a church. I, I wasn't a member of a church. Uh, it wasn't part of our family stuff, you know. Uh, actually, if you wanted to fist fight, you start talking about spirituality and religion in my house, and so we didn't do it at all. At all. <laughs> and uh, when I finally got to the point where I needed to um, change my life. Uh, God came into my body and said something to my dad, and the journey began. He said, I need some help, Dad. And uh, I hadn't asked my dad for help since I was 14 years old. And all of a sudden, here I start this journey. And the journey's led to this church, and it's just crazy, you know? I mean, um, the blessings... The way that I learned how to get sober was through the 12 steps, which have spiritual principles that are intertwined within them. The principles of surrender and and open-mindedness and willingness and forgiveness, acceptance and patience and tolerance and love, uh, of humility, of surrender, of courage. And God put me around a bunch of men like the elders are here, it feels like to me, and, and uh, the staff here at the church. I could read all I want to read and say that I, what I want to say about what I read, but these guys modeled it, you know? They, they modeled their humility. They modeled their forgiveness, they took me, and I was scared. I, I, I mean, I, I was 40 years old, had never lived, you know, an addict my whole adult life. I had never lived without drugs and alcohol before. Didn't know how to cope with the world. And these guys were teaching me how to do it. And, and just one instant, 
I, I had 50 cents in my pocket at an AA meeting, and, and these three men asked me to go have coffee with them, and I couldn't even afford a cup of coffee. And um, they said, oh, we'll buy you your coffee. So they took me to the village inn off Airways in El Paso. It's what they call the meeting after the meeting. And uh, we're sitting there, and, and in my mind, in my addiction, I was a taker. You know, so I thought everybody else was a taker. And I was like, I wonder what they want from me. You know, they probably want me to mow their yard or fix their car or wire their house, you know. And then they bought me pie. Man, I love pie, you know. And then I went home. And they didn't want anything from me. They wanted to help me. They just wanted me to, to not be scared anymore. They wanted me to find what they have, you know. We talk a lot about if somebody has what you want, then, then that's how you go about doing what you do and who to hang out with. And I'll, I guess I'll bring up Eric. Um, when I was at Texas Tech, I, I tried to surround myself with people who have what I want. And uh, we were doing, we had a ceremony for a, a CRC, a collegiate recovery community, and Eric had won the Big Heart Award. And his, fer- his parents come into town, and, and uh, he went up to receive his uh, award, and he thanked his donors, and then he thanked his family. And then he broke down and cried, and he thanked Jesus Christ. I said, I I think I can hang with that dude. That's something I want. I mean, in front of the whole group, I could feel it. I could feel the spirit of Jesus Christ in him. And and that was the end of the the speech for him. (laughs) He just, and you, Jesus Christ, and then he he left. But, you know, that's how I see recovery work, is to be humble and when these steps are all worked, basically our literature tells us that, um, let's see, it says that we have a psychic change brought on by a spiritual experience. And in the Bible it says that we have a renewal of the mind. And that's how I see this stuff work. And at my home group, they told us that you, you weren't allowed opinions. You know, they would shut you down if you think you know what you think you know. You know what I mean? And so we just had to talk about our experience with each one of these spiritual principles. And we would read only out of the big book, and then later, the Bible for me. And, and this is the journey that, that recovery has given me, you know, from... I was a gutter drunk that looked down at the world. I was still better than you. Brian, I mean, when you said all those things up there, that was me in my addiction. You know, all my character defects of selfishness and lust and envy and pride. and You know, and, and we have to give those over to God. Well, when we moved to this church, uh, I was very skeptical. And um, first of all, uh, let's explain this. Uh, we were over off of uh, the E-Way, 
And on family night, we ask people that support people in recovery to come and, and to be of support and to get some new knowledge. And uh, I saw Brian there, and, and he was there supporting somebody. And, and then uh, the elders came in and prayed on our families. And I was real skeptical about that because in my early recovery, I would have not walked into a church. You know, I would have not let a church even talk to me. And thought, blah, 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 <laughs> you know. But it's, it's the principle of open-mindedness and willingness that I, I started. I said, man, if I'm going to stay sober, I have to live this way. I have to live according to the principles, which are the Beatitudes, basically. I have to follow Christ if I'm going to stay sober. Because for me, there is no ifs or buts. You know, I will die. You all will bury me if I start drinking again. There's no doubt in my mind. So I have to live according to these principles. And so we're standing out by that thing over there with Brian, and we'd, we'd come over here, me and Emily and Eric, and hi, Katie. And uh, I was still like, no, no. And then some, you know, I said, man, I got to be open-minded about this. You know, I got to be willing to do something different. I got to be willing to come up here and talk. You know, this is terrifying. <laughs> but, it's, but it's beautiful all in itself, you know. And so I told Eric, you know, let's, let's go ahead and talk with these folks and see, see what they're about. And, and we did. We had some lunches. We vetted each other. Um, you know, I'm a therapist, and some of the, the worst clients that I've ever had thought that they were going to hell and there was nothing they could do about it. And that they were members of the of the of the Church of Christ, and they told they told me that's what the church told them, and I brought that up at one of our meetings in the elders. He says, "I've heard that too, and we're trying to change it, and I guess we're part of that change. You know, the recovery community is part of that change, and like I said, I." I I watch how people act. It's not what they say, it's what they do. And four years ago, I was walking into our office over there, and I heard this laughter. And I mean, it was like, wow, what's going on? You know, so I go out in the hallway, and it's over in the room across the hall, and they're just giggling and laughing. And, and it was almost like the first time I heard laughter in an AA group. It was real. You know, it was real joy. And I, and I poked my head around. I, I didn't want to disturb them. There's a bunch of ladies in a circle over there, and they were talking about things. I don't even know what they were talking about, but they were laughing. I said, wow, that's pretty cool, man. You know, you could just feel. I, I don't even know what they were talking about, but it, was, it must have been funny, you know? And then uh, Emily came over, and she goes, I don't know where the kids are on another night or after yeah it was in the evening it was on a Wednesday evening and I said well I'll help you find them and she goes oh they're where they're supposed to be and y'all were having vacation Bible school I never heard of it my whole life I've never heard of vacation Bible school and Emily says hey let's just go sit in there for a few minutes I said I'm busy (laughs) 
There's no open-mindedness, God. Willingness, you know. And so I come and I sit, and I'm, and I'm amazed. You know, potato chip, potato chip, crunch, crunch, crunch. <laughs> I love my Jesus a bunch, bunch, bunch. You know? And then, I mean, I just felt the Lord. And I was crying, and, and these kids were praising God, and they're two, three, four, five, six, seven years old. And they're in here praising Jesus with potato chips, you know? And I was like, wow, is that something crazy or what? So I came the next year. <laughs> so when does that vacation Bible school? I, w- I want to go sit in that, <laughs> you know? It's just so cool. And then on Thursdays, I believe it's Thursdays, I get here about 9, 9.30, I don't know, sometimes 10. And uh, there's a, a group of men who sit over in that room and they pray. They got a prayer list. And they pray for people. And that's all they do is they sit in that room and they pray for people. Well, you know, that's kind of crazy to me. And they're there all morning. And I went and I sat down and I was like, what's this all about? I can't remember the gentleman's name, Brent. Um, told me we've been doing this for 27 years. That we just come and sit in here for 27 years. That is, when I talk about modeling, you know, I'm watching how this is working and it's changing me. You know, it's changing me in my recovery. It's changing me in my relationship with Jesus Christ. And then, uh, when we were vetted and and we we sat up here, uh, you know, that was terrifying too. But um, I I start thinking about my own recovery and, um, and that everybody is in recovery. You're right. You know, we're all in recovery from sin. And uh, we have, the, what the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous does is it takes the spiritual principles of the Beatitudes of, John, of Matthew and of James. Actually, um, one of the founders, Dr. Bob Smith, wanted to call his AA group the, the uh, James group because of the book of James. And they, I guess they have to approach it for people like me because if I was told that in the beginning, I probably would have not kept going through it. Right? I'm, I'm kind of, I'm a gutter drunk that looks down at the world and I'm still better than everybody. You know, and that, that was how I was in, in early recovery. And, you know, I, I wake up every day with untreated alcoholism because there is no cure for alcoholism or drug addiction except Jesus Christ. I just had to go around the back door to figure it out. There, there is, in our book, it says, I don't even know how many times, we were beyond human aid. There was no judge that could tell me that he's going to send me to prison for 20 years if I showed him up showed up in front of his bench once more and Judge Perrier, wherever you are, don't be watching. Oh, be watching. But I walked over 6th Street and got drunk. I mean, 
I walked one block over and got drunk right after a judge told me he was going to send me up, for, up, up to jail. Right? I don't know how many times my ex-wife asked me to quit smoking and quit drinking. And uh, she couldn't do it. My parents, they couldn't do it. My best friends, they couldn't do it. Preachers, pastors, they couldn't do it. I wasn't going to walk in there. Right? And there was only one thing they could do it, and that is God. May you find him now. He has all power. And right after that sentence in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it says, here are the steps we took. The main purpose of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous is for you to find God. Not to stop drinking. Not to stop using drugs, but to find God. And so you have to learn to live a life. Why, why do people drink and drug? To change the way they feel, right? So you have to learn how to live a life to where you don't have to change the way you feel. So then you don't drink and drug anymore. Well, that life is with God and Jesus. You try to be the best that you can and follow Jesus. Those, those old guys that bought me coffee, I could feel it. I could feel that humility. You know, when I'm walking around these halls, guys, I've, I've, there's been nothing but genuine, genuine kindness and compassion. Wouldn't you say so, Eric? I, I mean, I have never felt judged compared I've never felt that in this church and the first time I sat there and and you guys start singing man amazing grace brother whoa I didn't know if I was going to be able to come up here without crying you know to hear the worship here is just incredible the first time I sat there and Doyle was up here doing his thing and all you guys were singing and I was going this is cool I felt I felt the presence of of God I just felt it just a few minutes ago. You know, I mean, the first time that I held hands with about 3,000 people and said the Lord's Prayer, I could feel the Holy Spirit just going through my body. You know, I was sitting with a client doing his trauma work, and it was kind of weird because, well, it's EMDR work, and what I try to do is get them to visualize certain things. And all he could visualize was bleakness, like broken desert, you know? It was kind of like a Pink Floyd moment, if anybody knows who Pink Floyd is. But then all of a sudden, I felt this like electricity go through my body while I was sitting in my chair. And, and I said, Brian? And he goes, Scott, do you feel that? And I'm, I'm getting it right now. And I said, yeah. Because Jesus is sitting right next to me. And I was like, whoa. You know, whoa. Because I could feel him sitting next to you. And these are the things that, as, I, as my experience goes, I mean, for me to be doing this 21 years ago, <laughs> I'm going to have to call my dad. This is what I did today, Dad. You know? But I, 
I'm gravitated, and I saw in y'all's bulletin this obsession with Jesus, that Paul was obsessed with Jesus. And I think that's just, I think that's where my transformation is leading me to. You know, I think it's, it's kind of like going, hey, you need to go a little bit further. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous just took me to a place to where I could actually sit and hear words, not blah, 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 blah. And then it got me to a place to where more, there's something more, you know. This is deep. This is multi-level. You know, this is something that I, that I got to do. And so when Brian called me and asked me to come up here and do this, it made me search a little bit more. Because for me, when I was growing up, church people were hypocrites, right? That's what I was taught, that, that, that that's all they do. They, they say one thing, they do another. And I don't want to be a hypocrite. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, I, I want to share my experience, not my opinion. You know, we all have opinions. And... I just, I don't know how much more time ago I got. Just for an example, real quick, the 12 steps, I looked this up. 12 steps of Alcoholic Anonymous. Step one is Romans 7, 18. Step two is Philippians 2, 13. Step three is Romans 12, 1. And on and on and on. This is my journey now. I know my steps according to AA. Now I need to know this part, right? I need to know what Matthew had to say about the love of God. I have to hear what James says about prayer. You know, this is my next level. Guys, to me, they, there's no other way to live for me now. You know, and like I said earlier, I have to do this every day. And when people, you you can hear this all through AA groups, is that we're grateful alcoholics. Well, following Jesus Christ is a great thing to be grateful for. Because my alcoholism took me to doing this. It took me to this moment, right here, in this church with all these beautiful people. It took that. It took 26 years of pain, of darkness, to get to this point. And I'll go ahead and close with this. Uh, Brian had talked about uh, burying somebody. Drug addiction and alcoholism is real, the demons are real. The spiritual darkness is so real, you know? And we need people, especially in this time in in our country and in time in our world. Drug addiction is rampant. And I mean, it is, (laughs) it's hard, man. It's hard when you bury one. You know, this last one, it kind of got me a little bit. You know, I've lived in this world for a while, and they're all hard. But the first one I had, and this one, 
really seems to um, affect me a little bit more at a deeper level because I think that's growth. You know, I've got to search for something. It's God telling me, hey, you know, don't sit on your butt, Scott. You know, you gotta, you got to keep moving. You've got to make this stronger. You've got to be able to take the mistakes and, and, and try to work with it, you know. I want to thank um, all of y'all in my recovery community. And I love being a part of Southwest Church of Christ. And it, it's funny. We, uh, one more thing. You know, we, we, we're licensed by the state, and we have to have these therapeutic approaches and techniques. And, and you know, we have to have a philosophy of, of therapy. And, and me and Eric were, and Emily, we're all trying to figure all that out. It says, love one another as I have loved you. That is our therapeutic model. Thank you. Thank you for loving us, and we love you all. Jeremy, get better. Say it. Oh. Pray uh, the Lord's Prayer because that's how we end every one of our recovery meetings, right? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. If you all have a seat, elders and ministers, if, if, if you all could go ahead and go to your places around the room. Twelve years ago, I was out in the Gunnison Forest, and I was hunting elk. And the, the sun went down on me, and I was about two and a half miles from camp. And all I had was this glow stick. So I break the glow stick. And the glow stick gives a light of about three feet. And you got to hold your hand in front of it so you can see past the glow stick. And... Uh, Outside of that, you can't see anything. And so between me and camp were probably four peaks and valleys, mountain valleys. I mean, probably 200, 300 feet drop. And as my uh, GPS showed, it was a straight line as a bird flies, but I didn't have the terrain at the time. And I had a two-way radio. And every time I hit the peak, I could get my brother-in-law on the phone. And I was scared to death. In my mind... All I could see, you know, what I could see was that three feet of light, but outside that light, my mind created this disastrous, scary world of bears walking just outside the dark, thinking, ooh, this looks good, you know, I'm ready for dinner. And it was, it was crippling fear. My brother-in-law got on the road and pulled out, and he parked his car like three three miles out on this hill and turned his headlights on. 
That was the only light I could see, but I could only see it when I hit the peaks. It's loud. It was, I, I only tell you that story, and I, I finally made it back. It took me about four hours to make it that two and a half miles because just hiking through the dark timber and you stop, you take your breath. This church has been in recovery for four years. The reason I know that is because, and the reason I'll tell you that story is because four years ago on September 23rd, I was sitting in that pew over there in that three feet of light, scared to death. I was hungover. Um... I couldn't see my future. My wife wasn't talking to me at the time. I was scared to death of what y'all would all think of me if I were to tell you that story. And during that, I was asking God, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know what is in store for me, and I'm scared. I need something. And I hear Brian say, well, church is starting a recovery. God, I just, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm, I don't know where to go. Brian comes on into my head. I'm not listening to him. This church wants to love you. We want you to come to us. Our eldership is ready to pick up recovery. God. I need an answer. This church loves you, Brian said. I started a journey that Tuesday meeting with Doyle. Doyle got me in touch with Jeremy Hunter. And September 23rd, that Sunday, was my first day of sobriety, and I've been sober for four years. As you look around the room at these elders and the ministers, they're holding up a light. This church is love first. This church has always been love first. Its bones are based off of love, and they crave to love you. But the reality is this, we're all sitting in this light, and we're scared to death, and this light is a self-creating light. You have to step into that love. These elders pray over and over that you'll step in to their light. So we're, we're about to sing, and I, I know it's difficult this morning, and if it's not this morning, and if you're alone and scared, find one of these guys. Come to me, come to Eric, come to Scott. Because there's a life for you. There's a life in Jesus Christ. And those lights may be far away, and that may be the only thing you can see, but you got to run towards it with all your heart, soul, and strength.
So as Ryan comes up here and leads us in song, I ask you all to just chase towards Jesus with all your heart, soul, and strength.